The scripture reading from this morning comes from 1 Chronicles, chapter 22, verses 5 through 19. For David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced, and the house that is to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, of fame and glory throughout all lands. I will therefore make preparation for it. So David provided materials in great quantity before his death. Then he called for Solomon, his son, and charged him to build a house for the Lord, the God of Israel. David said to Solomon, My son, I had it in my heart to build a house to the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, You have shed much blood and have waged great wars. You shall now build a house to my name, because you have shed so much blood before me on the earth. Behold, a son shall be born to you who shall be a man of rest. I will give him rest from all his surrounding enemies, for his name shall be Solomon, and I will give peace and quiet to Israel in, those, in his days. He shall build a house for my name. He shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish his royal throne in Israel forever. Now, my son, the Lord be with you, so that you may succeed in building the house of the Lord your God, as he has spoken concerning you. Only may the Lord grant you discretion and understanding, that when he gives you charge over Israel, you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Then you will prosper if you are careful to observe the statutes and the rules that the Lord commanded Moses for Israel. Be strong and courageous. Fear not. Do not be dismayed. With great pains I have provided for the house of the Lord 100,000 talents of gold, a million talents of silver, and bronze and iron beyond weighing, for there is so much of it. Timber and stone, too, I have provided. To these you must add. You have an abundance of workmen, stonecutters, masons, carpenters, and all kinds of craftsmen without number, skilled in working gold, silver, bronze, and iron. Arise and work, the Lord be with you. David also commanded all the leaders of Israel to help Solomon his son, saying, Is not the Lord your God with you? And has he not given you peace on every side? For he has delivered the inhabitants of the land into my hand and the land is subdued before the Lord and his people. Now set your mind and heart to seek the Lord your God. Arise and build the sanctuary of the Lord God, so that the ark of the covenant of the Lord and the holy vessels of God may be brought into a house built for the name of the Lord. The word of the Lord. We're in our fifth message in a series on the book of Chronicles. We're calling it Renew. You might see that up there on the screen because this is why Chronicles was written. It was written to bring about renewal in people's lives. It was written to bring a rediscovery of who we are, of our identity, to help us answer that question, as well as to bring about a rediscovery of why it is we're even here, of purpose. So this morning, we're going to be focusing in on the second part of that rediscovery on purpose. That's what this passage is about. And a part of human experience for everyone is that from time to time, we ask, why? What is the purpose of it all? 
If you are in school right now, you probably have your moments where you wonder, what's the purpose of school anyway? Or if we're in our relationships and family, friends, marriage, sometimes we step back and go, what's the purpose of marriage in the first place anyway? What's the purpose of my work? Parents, you may ask, what's the purpose of having kids again? What is that? And what's the purpose of church? What is the purpose of my life? I want to share just a few slides to get us thinking about how other people have made sense of this. And so I'm going to share a few pictures here on the screens. There's one. The purpose of life is a life of purpose. These are the kinds of statements that I personally hate. Very hallmarky, very cliche, and I would say very unhelpful in discovering what the purpose of life is about. But that might be something that motivates you, and if it is, sorry for just deconstructing that uh, for you. But let's go to the next one. There he is. He's at the end of his life, and he says, hey, I just figured out what I want to do with my life. Sometimes the purpose of our life is elusive, and we figure out, when, when am I going to find the answer? What's the purpose of my life? And there, tongue-in-cheek, it comes at the very end. And then the next one, this is Calvin and Hobbes. I can't even read it from here, but I know that Calvin is turning to Hobbes and saying, what's the purpose of life? Why are we even here? And his tiger friend, Hobbes, says, tiger food. So there you see a humorous <laughs> attempt at making sense of the meaning of life. Chronicles was written to people who were really wrestling with purpose. It was written to people who had just come out of the darkest time in their nation's history. It was called the exile. They had returned, and they, for various reasons, knew that this was what God wanted them to do. He wanted them to return. He wanted them to rebuild. And they were there. They were doing it, but it was very hard. It was actually very disappointing for them. The results were not what they expected. It wasn't lining up to what they thought God had promised and what God had said. So they were disillusioned and they were disenchanted. And Chronicles comes into their situation to help them recover their sense of purpose. And we feel like this often. Sometimes we feel like we're living in that movie Groundhog Day, which is basically your life is on repeat. You do the same thing over and over and over, and that grind wears on us. You say, what's the purpose behind it all? Sometimes we suffer loss, loss of a job, loss of someone that we love. Sometimes we just experience a loss of joy in the things that used to give us life. And we wonder, what's the purpose? Have I lost it? And we often experience disappointment, the things that we thought would deliver meaning and joy to us. When we experience those, when we get those, they let us down and we are disappointed. And we say, I thought that was the purpose of my life. And it didn't deliver. So now what? Many of us might feel like we have an intellectual answer. We might have a personal mission statement or something like that. We might even be able to quote my Christian friends here, uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism number one. What is the chief end of man? It is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. We know it in our minds, but it just there are times in our lives when it doesn't match up with our everyday experience, then what do we do? For those of you who are not Christians, you're exploring Christianity, you have questions about Jesus, first let me say we're so glad that you are here. We want to be a church that honors your questions and helps you on the journey of discovery 
of what Christianity is all about, the question of purpose might be one of the most important questions you have. How does Christianity answer that? How does Christianity address the question of purpose, and how does it compare to how I'm making sense of this and how everybody else is making sense of this in our world? Just to share personally for a moment, about two or three years ago, I started to feel this question, what's the purpose of it all, in a new way, in a way that I had never experienced before in my life, and it just began stirring in my soul, and I was wondering, where is this coming from? I've never felt this this strongly. I was coming up on my 40th birthday. That was probably a part of it. I was 10 years in the same church that I was serving. I'd learned so much. A lot of good things were happening. I had still had my amazing wife that I was married to uh, 20 years ago. We have our four lively boys, and so everything seemed good. And so I was surprised where this question of what's, what's the purpose? I need to have a stronger sense of purpose in my life. And it was right about that time when we were asked to consider moving here, and I was asked to consider whether this would be God's new call to come and be the pastor here of, of Trinity. And it was a season, it was a hard season. We were asking big questions and wondering, how are we going to figure out whether this is our purpose? And I found, I found myself just wondering, why doesn't God just put a letter in my mailbox that says, from God to Eric, here's your purpose? Why can't it be that easy and that straightforward? And then I would just follow it. Well, a letter never came. We came here, and we are very grateful that God led us here. But unfortunately, God doesn't lead us like that. He doesn't send us mail or an email or a text to say, here is your purpose. Here is your charge in life. But He has given us a lot of help. He's given us the Scriptures, the grand story, which our stories are a part. He's given us His Spirit. He's given us other people. But even more specifically... In the Scriptures, He's given us specific places that we are to go to to discover and rediscover our purpose. Today's passage is one of those places. It's, it's a specific genre in the Bible called a charge. This is a charge. This is a commissioning. This is David giving his son Solomon and the whole of the people of Israel a charge and saying, here is your purpose. Maybe the closest thing we have to this would be a commencement address at a graduation. When someone gives up and they share a speech and saying, go out there and do it, fulfill your dreams or whatever it might be. And I was looking this week at some of the most well-known commencement speeches out there. Steve Jobs gave a famous one at Stanford. Um, you may have seen Admiral William McRaven, his speech. It's the make your bed speech. Anybody hear that? Who's making their bed now? I am. It inspired me. And then uh, maybe the most inspiring or thought-provoking of them all was a speech by David Foster Wallace at Kenyon uh, College. We'll be coming back to that in a moment. But these commencement speeches, they're very inspirational. And sometimes they're directional. They're saying, here is a purpose to live for. Now go out there and do it. And First Chronicles 22 is like that. David's charge to Solomon. We're going to be looking at two points in this passage. First, what keeps us from discovering our purpose? And secondly, what leads us to rediscovering our purpose? So first, what keeps us from discovering our purpose? The first thing that keeps us from discovering our purpose is self-centeredness. 
in David's charge, he shares with his son, he shares with all the leaders of Israel, a lesson that he had learned. It was a simple lesson, but a very hard lesson. And that is this, the purpose God calls us to is not about us, it's about him. I mentioned that commencement speech from David Foster Wallace. It's called, This is Water. Uh, David Foster Wallace, as far as I am aware, is not a person of faith or a Christian. He's a well-known writer. He was. Um, and he was a professor at Pomona College. His first and main point in this commencement address to all these graduates was that selfishness is the thing that will prevent you from finding a meaningful life and purpose. He said this. He said, we need to unlearn the belief that I am the absolute center of the universe. It's the realest and the most vivid and most important person in existence is me. We rarely think about this sort of natural, basic self-centeredness because it's so socially repulsive. But it's pretty much the same for all of us. It's our default setting, hardwired into our boards at birth. Here, Wallace is touching on a traditional Christian doctrine of sin essentially as selfishness, as orienting life around ourselves. Here, David shares with his son Solomon, Solomon, I had it in my heart to build a house for the Lord my God. But God said, no, your son will build a house for my name. And God was essentially saying to David, David, you have the right vision, but that's not your part in the purpose to accomplish that vision. It's the wrong purpose for your life. You will prepare the temple. Your son will build it. And that wasn't easy for David to hear. We looked at this a number of weeks ago in chapter 17. He struggled with it, but he accepted it. It meant that he would not be seen as the complete and the successful king who built a temple for God. His name would not be associated with the temple. So it's like maybe like an athlete who is an all-star all the time but never wins the championship. David wouldn't get there. But the next eight chapters in Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 22 through 29, are all about David embracing his part, embracing his part in God's purpose. And what we see here is how he embraced it. He let go of self. Verse 5. Let's read that again. David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced in the house that to be Built for the Lord, it must be exceedingly magnificent of fame and glory throughout all lands. My purpose is about God's glory and God's fame, not my own. David then said in verse 7, in verse 8, in verse 10, in verse 19, he said, This house, this project, this purpose is for God's name, not my own name. So we see that David, even the great King David in Chronicles, had just a part to play. And the application for us is that God chooses our purpose, not us. Discovering our purpose means we first discover God's purpose for the world and we find our place in that purpose. What if Solomon said, thanks, Dad, but no, that's good for you. I am going to discover my own purpose in life. And then when I do, I'll be sure to ask God's blessing on it to fulfill that. I'll be praying that he blesses it. But I'm just not into temple building. Construction is not my thing. 
I'm going to do something else. But isn't that how we often approach our search for purpose in our lives? It's what I want to do. What do I want from life? What are my dreams? And then we ask God to make those things happen for us. But here we see that purpose is not something we create. Purpose is something that God gives to us. He gives us a place in His purpose. And right here is where the temple comes in. This is all about the temple. What's going on with the temple? The temple was the project God gave David. He gave it to Solomon. He gave it to all of Israel to remind them and show them what His purpose is. What is the purpose of God? What we see in Chronicles that the single most important purpose in the whole book is the temple. It was David's focus. It was Solomon's crowning achievement. Every king from First and Second Chronicles is judged on whether they made the temple their primary purpose. Why? Well, the temple at this time is the place on earth where the purpose of God is concentrated. Like when you have orange juice or some kind of juice and it's in concentrated. And all the taste is packed into a small little place. It's just right there in this little concentrated jar. Or if you have a cleaning agent of some sort and it's concentrated, all the power and all the potency is just right there in this small little spot. That's like the temple. And there you'll see what that purpose was that was concentrated. The temple is a picture of God's purpose, which is twofold. That we are to make God's presence and glory central to all of life. And we are to take God's presence and glory into all of my life and into all of the earth. That was what the temple was there to show the people of Israel. That the epicenter of our lives is worship. And from that epicenter where we unlearn selfishness, we are sent out to radiate God's glory and goodness wherever we go. That's the purpose. That's the purpose we've been given. So when we are struggling with purpose, we can start here. We can ask, am I seeking, am I asking God to revolve around my purpose? Or am I asking God to revolve my life, and orient my life around Him and His purpose. The second thing that we see in this charge that keeps us from discovering God's purpose for us is fear. In verse 13, David tells Solomon, Be strong, be courageous, do not fear, and be not dismayed. And this phrase, be strong, be courageous, do not fear, it's repeated in all the charges throughout Scripture. Moses said these exact words to Joshua when he was passing the mantle of leadership to him. Paul said a version of these words to Timothy when he was charging Timothy. Jesus said a version of these words to his disciples. In John 14, he said, let your hearts not be troubled, be not afraid. Now, what does that tell us? If God's charges to us repeatedly tell us to be courageous, to fear not, it means three things. One, God's purpose for us is to lead us into situations where we will feel weak and afraid. Two, feeling weak and afraid is not a sign we are headed the wrong way. In fact, it's the reverse. Three, 
if we run from or try to avoid fear and weakness, we are running from God's purpose for us. Let me just repeat those. It means these three things. God's purpose for us is to lead us into situations where we will feel weak and afraid. Two, feeling weak and afraid is not a sign we're headed the wrong way. In fact, it's the reverse. And three, if we run from or try to avoid fear and weakness, we are most likely running from God's purpose for us. That is so challenging, so challenging to me. I think of my life, I think of our lives in Orange County, and maybe the thing we're most afraid of is discomfort. Almost subconsciously, we eliminate the possibility that God might call me to a purpose that is uncomfortable and hard for me. And I was just talking with a good friend of mine. He's another pastor. We were talking about what God's been doing in our lives, and he was talking about this dynamic of prayer and seeking God's purpose. And he said, I have this thing in my mind, and that is surely God's not going to call me or answer my prayer in a way that's going to make me feel uncomfortable. And we said, something's wrong with that. I identify with that too. I want to share what C.S. Lewis said about this dynamic in our hearts. He's sharing his own journey of why he became a Christian. He said, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. If you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. If our Christianity is always comfortable, it's always affirming to us, never asks us to do anything hard or difficult, we have to ask, whose purpose am I living for? Is it for mine or for Jesus's? If we find ourselves always choosing situations where we feel strong and adequate and confident, then we are probably not living out God's purpose for us. And if God wants us to be cured of our selfishness, of our independence, of our self-reliance, so that our lives are more centered on love for Him and love for other people, one of His main teaching tools is to call us to a purpose that we could never fulfill on our own and in our own strength. So let me ask you a question to apply this to our own hearts. Where do you feel most afraid inadequate or weak, to make God's presence and glory central or to take God's glory and presence into your life. And I want to encourage you, don't over-spiritualize this, don't churchify this. I want you to think of your everyday life, your friendships, your marriage, your parenting, being a blessing or a peacemaker at your work, your vocational choices, your school. Maybe it's an area, a personal area of your life that needs healing and change. Where do you feel most afraid, inadequate, and weak? In David's charge, he gives us the reason why we don't have to be afraid. He says it three times. Do not be afraid. The Lord is with you. When God calls us to a purpose, then he promises us. He will provide us with his presence. He will provide us with his power to fulfill that purpose. Self-centeredness and fear, those are the things that can keep us from discovering our purpose. I think David's charge to Solomon here in this passage also shows us three things that actually lead us further into a rediscovery of our purpose. 
three things I'm going to share. Discernment, community, and sacrifice. Would you look at verse 12 with me? There David tells Solomon, he says, only, in the ESV translation that's printed, only, it also could be translated, above all, may the Lord grant you discretion and understanding that you may keep the law and be careful to observe his commands and his word. Does this surprise you in discovering our purpose? That what David says to Solomon, only above all, here is the thing that you will need. Here is the thing that will lead you to purpose. Discretion. Understanding. These Hebrew words could probably be taken together as one pair, and I would say together they would equal discernment. Solomon is probably most well-known and famous for how he responded to this part of what David told him because later on in Chronicles we see God appeared to Solomon and said, what do you want? A blank check, Solomon. Ask me for anything. And Solomon said, give me wisdom and give me knowledge. A number of years ago, I served on a jury uh, a civil case. It was my first time being on a jury. It was, I think, a three- or four-day trial, and it was a lawsuit. There was a tow truck driver who had been on the freeway, and he was rear-ended by another driver. And so the tow truck driver was suing this young woman who ran into him. So I was a little bit excited and kind of like, how is this going to work? I've never been on a jury. And like, what do we do? What's it going to be about? Especially I was looking forward to deliberation. And so we, we sat through the whole trial, and um, there was expert witnesses and all that. There, was, there were doctors that came in and crash experts and all this. I was like, this is crazy and fascinating. I never knew these people existed. And finally, when the trial ended, we went into the jury room to deliberate. And the person who was a spokesperson for the jury spoke up and said, you know what? Frivolous lawsuit. This is horrible. This is a waste of time. Totally not guilty. And then all these people started shooting up and saying, yeah, I agree, I agree, I agree, I agree. Somebody was like, that doctor was so creepy, I will never vote for him. And it was just like eight people in like 30 seconds to a minute had already said, I've made up my mind. And so then there, there were four people left. One of them said, no, no, I think there's guilt here. And then there were three of us who were kind of on the fence. And everybody who didn't automatically vote and say not guilty, they came to us, it came to us to like share, what do you think? And it came to me and I said, I think we should, like, talk about this more, like, deliberate, deliberation and talking and, like, weighing the evidence. We just sat through three or four days. It shouldn't be that easy. And they're like, oh, okay, whatever, and then they move on to the next person. <laughs> and after it just kind of went around the circle, somebody's like, never mind, I changed my mind, not guilty, and then we were done. It was like a two-minute deliberation. I was like, wow. That's that so fast. And I'm not sharing that to share like I am the, the hero of the jury story or anything like that. But to say that isn't it so easy for us to fall prey to group think, to make quick judgments, to be rash and to be reactive rather than to discern. And in our day where there are rapid fire reactions to everything, where you have access to so much information, we need to hear God's guidance in this text. What leads us to discover our purpose is discernment. Making God's presence and glory central in our lives, taking the glory and the presence of God with us into all of life, that 
requires discernment. It's not a matter of knowing the right answers. It's not a matter of having all the right information. It's not making everything black and white. It's not quick. It's not easy. It's not simple or straightforward. It requires great discretion and understanding. And that's an encouragement and a warning for those of you who say, I just can't figure out what's my purpose in life. I've been wrestling with this for many years. Be encouraged. It's not easy. It takes discernment. It takes understanding, often years. It's also a warning to us. If you always have the quick reply, the perfect tweet, and the post that needs to go up immediately, take warning, listen to this passage. You are likely not helping God's purpose, but you are working against God's purpose. And as Christians, one of the ways that those who are not followers of Jesus often experience us, they hear our voice as a reactive voice, as a quick replying voice. And every time there is a tragedy of any sort, whether it's a natural disaster or something as horrible as what happened last week in Las Vegas, there are quick replies. And so often they are just cringeworthy moments where we go, why did we have to say that? Why would you represent the voice of Jesus in that way? And so we have to repent Acknowledge that often we're not good at this and learn to discover God's purpose requires discretion. Secondly, what leads us into God's purpose is community. The charge gave, uh, given by David to Solomon is not just to Solomon alone, but look at verse 17. The charge is given to all the leaders of the nation of Israel. It's a national purpose. It's a communal purpose. It cannot be accomplished by one person. Even though Solomon was the richest and most resourced and most wise person in the history of Israel, he needs help. Vivek Murthy is the former Surgeon General of the United States, and he wrote an article recently in the Harvard Business Review. The article got my attention. It was entitled, Work and the Loneliness Epidemic. And here's what he said in that article. He said, during my years caring for patients... Physician, the most common pathology I saw was not heart disease or diabetes, it was loneliness. The reason this article is appearing in the Harvard Business Review is because his thesis is that the workplace can be a part of the cure for providing meaningful purpose for people to work toward together. He said people bring the most to their work when they feel connected to the mission and to the people around them. Meaningful purpose and meaningful relationships equal a deeply meaningful and satisfying life. That's how God designed it. That's how God made us. That's how God designed the church to be pursuing as a community mission together. So we need each other to discover our own part in God's purpose, and to come alongside other people as they are carrying out God's purpose in their lives. A commentator who was remarking on this passage, J.G. McConville, said, there is no freelance Christianity. We need a community. Third and last thing that leads us to a rediscovery of our purpose is sacrifice. In verse 14, David tells Solomon, with great pains... I have provided for the house 
of the Lord. If you just look at verse 14 with me, look at the amounts there. It's hard for us to know the measurements, but these are astronomical for this time. People look at this, scholars look at this and go, how is this possible? This gold and this silver and all that's David says, I'm pouring all this into this project. And he says, Solomon, you must add to this. Even the rest of Chronicles is all about how David, he not only put all his wealth and his money and his resources into the temple, he also put all his focus and his time and his energy into this project. And it was meant to be for his son. It was meant to be for the people of Israel, a model for them to follow. A model for them to follow that will lead them into God's purpose and how to rediscover it when it's lost. That it's not found by holding on to things. It's not found by looking for what we can gain for ourselves, but it's found by giving. It's found by radical sacrifice. It is in giving ourselves away in sacrifice that we find our purpose. We were reading, for those of you following along in our CBR Bible reading in Mark chapter 8, Jesus says in 34 and 35, if anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross, deny himself, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? One of the most paradoxical realities in our world is almost always when there is great evil. They are right in the middle of great evil and great suffering is also great sacrifice and love. When we see humanity at its worst, most often we also see right alongside a humanity at its best. This happened in Las Vegas last week. I saw this story via a tweet from one of the victim's sons. Maybe you saw it. His name was Jack Beaton from Bakersfield, California. He was at the concert with his wife, Lori. They were celebrating their 23rd wedding anniversary. And when he realized what was happening, he said to his wife, get down, get down, and he shielded her body, telling her, I love you, Lori. She knew the moment when he was shot, and he later died in the hospital. But his son said, I lost my best friend. I love you so much, more than you could ever imagine. Please watch over our family. You will forever be remembered as our hero. And what his wife said, I knew every day that he would protect me and take care of me and love me unconditionally. And what he did is no surprise to me. And he is my hero. Right there in the middle of absolute evil and tragedy, we are reminded of our purpose as people. There is no greater purpose that we would have than to lay down our lives for our friends. There is no greater purpose. And when our purpose is clouded and distracted by self-centeredness, when we think life is all about me, when we shrink back in fear, when we're distracted, when we're disappointed and we're disillusioned, what leads us back to a rediscovery of our purpose is ultimately the sacrificial love of Jesus for us. David, David's sacrifice for the temple was great, 
but far greater was Jesus's, the greater David's sacrifice for the purpose of the temple to be fulfilled. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all tell us this detail, something that happened in the temple when Jesus died, the moment Jesus died on the cross. It says the curtain of the temple was torn into. Now, why is that significant? Why is that important? Well, God's purpose for the temple, for us and for the world, was fulfilled by the sacrifice of Jesus in our place. Because Jesus died in our place, because of his sacrificial love for us, we have absolute and free access into the presence of God. No sin, no struggle, no weakness, no fear, no shame, no guilt can keep us from the presence of God. And the presence and the glory of God is now moving out from the temple into all the world through God's people, through His Spirit, empowering us for mission. And this meal we're about to celebrate, communion, is a reminder of both of those things. That here at the center of the story of Christianity, the very center of the gospel is the work of our hero, Jesus, and his sacrificial love for us. Communion is a time for us to do that, to commune with God, to bring all of who we are into the presence of God, to have him recenter our lives upon him. He says the way that this happens is through the body of Christ broken for us, his blood shed for us. So this is a communion meal. It's also a commissioning meal because it sends us out and says, carry with you the loving sacrifice of Jesus into the world as you love, as you lay down your life, the presence of God, the glory of God is made real. So as we come in just a moment, let's come listening to the, the loving and the inviting and the welcoming voice of our God. And let's hear him send us out as well. Would you pray with me? Our God and our Father, we know you have a purpose for this world. This world is no accident. Our lives are no accident. There's great purpose and meaning to each of our lives. We struggle often to figure out, to discern where we fit into it all. And even this morning, we might be feeling lost. I pray this would be a time of reconnection. First, reconnection with you. That we would be reconnected to the reality that you love us and to the extent of your love for us. Broken as we are, selfish as we are, you love us. And I pray you would also help us to reconnect to our purpose, to rediscover where we've lost sight of it, where it's been crowded out by other things, re-energize us by this amazing reality that we get to be a part of your purpose in this world. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.